Hello and welcome to an episode of Hollywood Chop Shop spoken from the pages of cheap paperbacks. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing part two of our Shane Black Buddy Cop trilogy with 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Hollywood Meta, Don't Quit Your Gay Job, In the Year 2000, Lethal Weapon 2, and Rookie Mistakes. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Hello? Hey, man. Uh, I'm at the shop. Where are you? I stopped for coffee. I'm on the way in. What's up? There's a bunch of fucking teenagers behind the shop spray painting our building. I assume you've called the cops? Yeah, fuck that. I'm about to whip their ass. Hold on. I'm going to put you on speaker. Dude, don't. don't. You, you said they're teenagers? Hey, fuckos. Walk away. Don't think. Just do it. Travis, just go back to the shop and call the yeah. cops. No, no, no. You'll try. That little experiment will end in tears, my friends. So again, for the cheap seats, do not think, walk the fuck away, or we can settle this a different kind of way. Make a choice. Hello? Hello? I'm, I'm about, hey, Travis, I'm about to pull into the shop. Oh, oh Jesus. Uh. Jesus, man. I, I told you to stay in the shop. Between crashing the shop van and this, you're, you're really struggling in the decision-making category. Uh, do you th do you think I'm stupid? I don't think you'd know where to put food if you didn't flap your mouth so much. Yes, I think you're stupid. Oh. Now get up. We gotta go discuss Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Petty Thief finds himself in LA after accidentally passing off as an aspiring actor, but things quickly go sideways for him on the coast after he teams up with a PI consultant and a familiar face from his small town home. Between honing his newfound craft with a detective who despises him and solving a couple seemingly unconnected deaths with the girl that got away, our criminal friend might have been better off just spending Christmas in jail. Alrighty, Travis. We'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I gotta know, what is your quick diagnostic of 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? <clears throat> I, I don't want to be dramatic. I don't want this to be a, as you like to call it, a, a hot chop. Um, I may have made a minor mistake by choosing to do the movies in this order. <laughs> because... I, Historically, Brett, d dating back to the time where you lived in Kentucky, we we have always loved this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, after watching it back to back with the nice guys, I, I was a little more critical of the movie than than I anticipated being. Uh, I still love the interplay between Downey and Val Kilmer. I think that is every bit as good as I remember it, but. It, it very much feels like a uh, directorial debut on Shane Black's part for better and for worse. Um, okay, I'll just say it. The plot of this movie, I, I've i seen the movie as recently as two days ago. I can't fucking tell you what this plot ends up being. The, the, 
some people think it's intentional, like, hey, this is just based off of a, a trash dime store paperback, like mystery series, you know, bodies are where you found them. But I think this plot is nonsensical. If that was intentional on Shane Black's part, I still don't think it's effective. So I'll pause there because that, that's my major beef with the movie. What about you? So I'm trying to look up. Okay, so Shane Black did not direct The Long Kiss Goodnight. He only wrote that. Um, so it will be interesting as you go back. I definitely think it, I agree in part with you. It is interesting going backwards because it's just all I do is I can see where Shane Black improved from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to the nice guys. And I think it is one of those like I don't think it takes away. I still absolutely love this movie. I laughed at it all the way through. I'm not going to be apologetic for it. Um, to your point, yes, the film noir aspect of this movie is batshit crazy. And even to the point where I it had been too long, almost like when we reviewed, um, was it super bad? It had been too long since I'd watched this movie. I forgot how much I love this movie, but it is definitely one of those when you go back and you watch it again, it's like, because Kilmer and Downey Jr. are so good and the writing is so, in terms of dialogue, the dialogue and interaction between the characters is so good and their portrayal of the characters is so good. You do completely overshadow the fact that the film noir aspect of this movie is is crazy because at the end, if you essentially what is revealed is the main whatever that the uh, what's his face's character, uh, Benson's character, um, Bern, Bernstein, Corbin, 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 Corbin Bernstein. Bernstein's character. Harlan, Harlan Dexter. Dexter. His whole thing is that he wants to basically get rid of his daughter so that he can inherit all of the millions that he has or something like that. So he basically murders his daughter and then hires an actress to play as her so that he can get it. Like Again, to your point, if it is supposed to be like, oh, we're making fun of these paperback. Sure. OK, that's good. But at the same time, it is a movie and if you're going to go parody, you have to go hard on parody so people understand that. And I don't think the movie does that uh, successfully, to your point. It is it is not enough of a parody to realize that all of this being so loosely tied together is is intentional. There's a couple, you know, throwaway lines like when um, Harry and Harmony are are sitting there talking to, to gay Perry and they're like, Oh, you know, actually in a, in a Johnny Gossamer book, it would have been way bigger than this. And this is what would have happened. All them like, okay. So they're, they're being a little meta and saying like, Oh, you know, if this was, you know, like one of those books, this is what would happen. And then it winds up, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. That is what winds up happening. Uh, you have a little bit like that, but it's not over a top over the top enough for me for, for a true parody of that genre. Yeah. And I think you said it all by, not saying it like the Harlan Dexter character, number one, is barely on screen this whole movie for it technically to be revolving around him. And then, like you said, he has to kill his daughter and have another woman impersonate his daughter to inherit his own money. Like you said, it just it none of it makes sense. It's it's definitely a vehicle for Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. to play off of one another. And it. 10 out of mm -hmm. 10, it accomplishes that so much so that, you know, like you were alluding to, you kind of get lost in lost in how great their performances are, how great they interact. Even uh, Michelle Monaghan, too, I would I would throw her in. She plays very well in that as a third leg of the tripod. Mm -hmm. But whenever the plot gets brought up, I'm like, wait, what? Well, especially because. But 
again, everything else is so good, you don't mind it. But when you actually stop to think about it, the plot is just like, I just shrug my Especially head. because they talk about the, the Johnny Gossamer. Usually he takes two cases. One is just kind of straightforward and generic, and the other one winds up being something batshit crazy. The problem is both of the the crimes wound up, or the murders wound up being batshit crazy because on one hand, you had the the girl who was abused and molested by her father who then kills herself because she can't take seeing what she thinks another man father figure molesting his daughter that's batshit crazy and then you have the whole um harlan dexter thing where he's murdering his actual daughter to inherit money because he's floundering because i don't even remember where they bring up he has a mental institute until it bring comes up that he has a mental institute at the end where you're like oh i don't even remember them i guess they did but it wasn't enough for it to register with me because again it's crazy why why would a hollywood actor have a mental institution <laughs> it's just it's so far-fetched it's like why is this the case um but yeah it all it always comes back to i mean the the character well it, it's almost like a marvel movie we talk about that the marvel movies are so cookie cutter in terms of like the plot and what they do but usually what a marvel movie does is their character dialogue winds up usually being very well how the characters interact with one another so that makes them kind of worth watching in terms of plot and setting all of that i mean you could copy and paste any one of their move their settings or backstories or anything it winds up being the same damn thing and i think that that winds up being the same case with kiss kiss bang bang is the the setting and the background and the story winds up being almost irrelevant because you're just so engrossed in watching the characters interact with one another yeah, hundred percent. And I, I think that uh, you you might get into it later, but Robert Downey Jr. apparently was not the the first initial casting choice of this, uh, and I think Val Kilmer was not even the first casting choice for his part. I I can't imagine this movie with any other two actors in it, which is a which is a testament to it. Um, so much so that again, it makes up for the fact that the plot to me is a house of cards that that blows over rather easily. Well, because this was the Robert Downey Jr. reunion tour, or like yeah, Phoenix tour, where like he was actually starting to try and get back into Hollywood. I think we'd done Gothica might have come out right before this, but like right before, literally, that was right before. Yeah, because I mean, this two thousand seven, I think, was Iron Man. So like, and he had to audition for that because that was a big deal that Robert Downey Jr. had to audition for a movie and Disney did not want to take a chance on him. And that basically, I mean, really skyrocketed him back into the limelight where like Robert Downey Jr. is a big deal again. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely part of his trying to climb his way out of the hole he had created for himself in Hollywood. Um, so glad that he did. I, I mean, we you love to talk about the first time you watch this movie. I believe, I remember seeing the poster because we worked at the movie theater when this movie came out. I don't remember us seeing this in the theater. I think we overlooked it. The first time I remember getting it was as a Hollywood video, which for our listeners who don't know was a, uh, like a movie rental place, movie DVDs, you know, because the physical media existed back then. I went and bought it on the bargain bin because it looked, I always loved the poster that I saw in the theater. I was like, oh, you know, for what, four, three, four bucks, whatever, I'll, I'll buy the DVD. And I think we all sat down and watched it together and it became an instant classic for all of us because again, all of the one-liners in this movie was like, this movie was was almost made for us. So uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's crazy how this would almost flew under the radar, even for us working at the theater, which is like, I don't know about that. It, it is just an absolutely fantastic movie. So with that, uh, you want to go ahead and jump into some some five points? 
Yeah, where'd you uh, where'd you want to start? Uh, we'll just start at the top. Hollywood Meta. So this is another one of those movies where I when we did the Hollywood Meta, I don't think this would have made it into that trilogy because there wasn't enough Hollywood stuff. But just Shane Black between this and the Nice Guys, does he just love the setting of Hollywood? And like I know it technically was the adult film stars was in the nice guys but he just seems to love that those like hollywood parties like that makes it into a lot of his, his later movies and stuff like that so and then even then to a certain point wants to kind of like dive into a, you know i love the whole speech that gay perry gives harry when he's like you're not gonna get the part and like harry's in denial he's like no you don't understand you don't have to be mean about it. like i know you don't understand this was just to knock some some numbers off of colin farrell colin, colin farrell yeah. colin farrell wants too much so they bring in some hot shot from new york you're not getting the job i'm sorry i didn't want to if you want to hit me <laughs> pick those up pick them up Okay, fucking. <laughs> this is gonna be another one of those movies where I just feel like we're gonna wind up quoting the movie this almost this entire review because there's just there's so many fantastic one-liners and the, whether you're just you want to recite the dialogue because a lot of it isn't I don't even know if you can call it a one-liner because it, usually there's a string of events and there's a ton of great dialogue in there and you can pick out any one line that you want and it's just fantastic but oh. It just, there is there's a lot of even the whole thing as was it, harmony is talking about you know <laughs> the actress she's 35 she's she's been fucked more times than she's had hot meals oh i heard it was really close but she skipped lunch <laughs> it's just there's so much there's so many great lines in this movie but to bring it back to the five points sorry because I'm, I'm gonna wind up derailing this with, with quotes this entire episode but um my two thousand dollar ceramic vector. <laughs> my mother got me as a special gift. You threw it in the river. You threw in it in the lake, lake next to the car. <laughs> what happens when they drag the lake? You think they'll find my pistol? <laughs> Jesus, look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find, Brett? Picture of me. No, the definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are. <laughs> <laughs> that my mother got me as a special gift. <laughs> like, it's just. No word is wasted in no, this script. No, it really is not. Um, but yeah, I just think it's interesting how much Shane Black decided to put like just legitimately Hollywood meta into this movie. As you know, I realize it's Harry's supposed to be an aspiring or accidental actor, and then Harmony actually her whole story was that she was going to Hollywood. But it's just weird that so much of that made it into the movie, and I honestly wonder if it it does wind up somewhat distracting and maybe that's part of the problem is like you have all that stuff and it just distracts from what the plot and setting is supposed to be because then it winds up being more about them in hollywood than it does about whatever the hell is happening with the born again daughter you know yeah and i just want to mention uh you know with the the meta aspect of of hollywood uh the the party that opens this movie that's actually shane black's house and apparently he was famous uh, in his heyday in like the mid to late 90s uh, of hosting these Hollywood parties. So that's very much autobiographical on his part. Yeah, I don't know if it's one of those you, you know, you write what you know, but it is just strange that that and maybe as we talk about again, we're watching we're watching these go backwards in time. Like, I'll be interested to see what happens in the Long Kiss Goodnight because he wrote that. But. I just feel like at least between Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys, it is you can almost watch where he just learned from what worked and didn't work in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then just refined that into just an absolute masterpiece of his with the Nice Guys. Because that movie is just, again, just a much more 
I think he does a much better job of making sure the audience understands what's going on and ultimately what the conflict is going to be at the end of the movie. So it isn't one of these things where it's kind of shoehorned in at the end where you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> even when Gabe Perry, he turned, when I talked about the underwear missing, he turned around, I'm like, I, as the audience, I'm like, I usually love watching detective stuff and trying to figure it out. I'm like, I had no idea where it was going. I can remember the first time I watched it, and even this time, I'm like, I don't remember why this is a big deal. Yeah, and as far normally, that's a compliment when you when you talk about these kind of movies and you say, I didn't know where it was going. I think in the case of this movie, again, it, it's a minor complaint because that's not what the movie is here to do, but. Uh, you can't predict what's happening because I don't feel like it does a good job of giving you the pieces of the puzzle. Mm. So, and, and really, I'll say that that's kind of, just to get it out of the way, rookie mistakes. Like you said, this very much, we, we mentioned it on a previous podcast, like somebody like James Cameron, when they made Terminator 2, it felt like they were making the movie they wanted to make the first time around. They just had the resources to do it. I think the Terminator is a, is a great movie in its own right. I feel like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a very good movie, but it um, the rough edges are very much sanded out and, and perfected uh, with the nice mm. guys. So yeah, rookie mistakes. And he still loves that archetype. You still have the fuck up and the professional that wind up. And even again, the nice guys is interesting because the fuck up is supposed to be a professional, but his just life is kind of like falling apart. But at the end of the day, it's... The, the same two characters and they wind up being partners at the end and stuff like that. So I still love both the movies. Like, I'm, again, I'm not going to be apologetic for, for the kiss, kiss, bang, bang, just because the nice guys is better. Um, but, uh, so we'll say don't quit your gay job. Cause I think that's just going to be us, uh, jerking off to different characters because really that's just talking about gay Perry and Val Kilmer. And then even to that extent, again, I just wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to talk about those performances and just how well those characters <laughs> interact with one another, how organic it feels like even with it being zippy one-liners and the way they treat each other, it just feels organic. Like that's exactly how those people would interact in the real world. Um, Oh, fuck it. Let's just get into that now. I've already, you know, started. <laughs> you know, I don't want to give myself blue balls here. So there's some of my favorite scenes. Like, I can remember when, when Harry finds out he thinks that Harmony has killed herself. And and Harry is just trying to get him off the car. He goes, I've, I've got to go. Seriously, I've, I've got to go. I've, I've got to go. <laughs> and if I, you, as the audience, you think he's still just being steered until he finally just pushes him off the car and drives away. And even then, right before that, like, if you, if you need to call, hesitate, sleep badly. Like, he's just, Perry is so fantastic in this entire fucking movie. Yeah. I, and you know what, though? I, I love that scene too because. As as much as Gay Perry spends ninety five percent of this movie shitting all over Harry constantly, he still gives him that his effort to to comfort him with the shoulder pat. Like there is still some like I'm not a complete asshole. I, I do feel bad for you, but please just get off my car. Well, even like because you have to remember the first interaction between Harry and Perry or Gay Perry. <laughs> He goes, oh, what's Gay Perry, are you still gay? He goes, no, no, I'm knee-deep in pussy, but I like the name so much it's stuck. <laughs> it's just, why would someone ask that question? <laughs> it's just, 
Oh, talking monkey? Yeah, from the future. Only says ficus. <laughs> I just, again, miss hearing. So I, I just, I think so much. And it's like you read it. I would imagine reading that on paper would be so difficult to read how those characters would interact. And I just, I think it's in a, a testament to Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer how good they are because it comes off flawless. Like, it's a certain point. I assume that none of that was, or very little of that was improvised. I assume a lot of that is just how it was written, just because, again, we've seen the new guys and it's the same type of, of language. So, you know, the same type of dialogue. So, I assume that that is how Shane Black wrote that. It's just their deliveries are so phenomenal. Uh, dude, maybe there's like a five to 10 minute stretch in this movie. The, the Russian roulette scene <laughs> where... Who taught you math? <laughs> you know, there's like a 8%. 8? Eight? <laughs> and then the torture scene where Gay Perry's got the gun hidden in his pants because homophobes never check yeah. there. That whole torture scene when he's... Who is it? Horelio? Uh, I is think that, so. Is that the... When he is basically implying that Horelio is gay like hey you you could shock him anywhere but you you know you you put him down there for a reason that whole fucking scene where he he antagonizes him to the point where he he's got his hand in his pants so he can shoot him with the Derringer. tiny yeah. pistol that yeah that is set up earlier in the movie those two scenes back to back i again remove the plot just pure comedic value i i put that up against any 10 minute stretch in a comedy in the history <laughs> did you know robert downey jr was actually being tortured in that scene uh what do you mean tortured okay maybe not to that extent, but like a lot of those screams are sincere his wife was sitting behind the chair just squeezing and twisting like his love handles in that like his back to make him like i don't know if you call that method or not but to make him scream like his wife was actually back there just actually like making his life miserable in that scene yeah, I know. Apparently, she was a producer on this movie. I think they were just dating. But that no, I did, I did not know that. That's a that's a pretty interesting tidbit. And yeah, I can still hear Downey Jr.'s screaming in my head. So it was effective, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> uh, there was one part in this movie where I thought plot towards the end, where again you know you're you're coming up towards the end of the movie, where the plot just really derailed to me that didn't make any sense. The whole point is that they have to steal the body of his daughter before it can be cremated to prove that he murdered his daughter and the actress, right? So they go through this crazy chase through downtown Hollywood or LA where they're, the, the goons are hitting the van and they're going to cause it to wreck. I'm like, just wreck the van because then the cops will show up and see the body in the casket. Like, you don't have to run away anymore. You've got the body away from them. It doesn't have to end in this weird, like, the body almost falling out of the van or the, the highway. It is, once you got the body away from them, you could have wrecked the car anywhere and then basically proven that uh, Dexter was behind the whole thing. Yeah, again, all the plot dynamics of this movie, I just I don't really like them that much. Um, you 
I, I went back and listened to our recording of the nice guys. And, and there was a point where you didn't want to call Shane Black a one trick mm-hmm. pony. You kind of did, but then you didn't want to say it. I'll say it. He is. I mean, down to the fact that Robert Downey Jr. in, in the final action scene, he becomes invincible, just like Holland March. Um, all he he plays the same notes over and over again. But I I enjoy the song. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like ACDC. Like you if, watch if you like tone. one ACDC song, you watch your you oh, watch your tone. tone. They're they're fine, but they made one song eighty seven times and succeeded. And God bless them for doing it. Uh, but I think Shane Black's much the same way. Yeah. I do like that the bullet went through the book, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I did love that moment. Like, oh, it stopped. It stopped the bullet. And, and yeah, then that perfect timing to, to, to cut to the, the light coming through the hole. So, yeah, that that was a good moment. I, I love the I will survive ringtone, <laughs> too. I thought that was a good touch. Oh, but uh, yeah, I, I just. Like I said, the the interaction between the characters is just absolutely fantastic. When when they first find the body after they've driven the car off the the goons have driven the car off the cliff, it's like Val Kilmer, Gay Perry is like trying to stay like discreet down, and Harry's just screaming like, "Hey, hey! A car just went off the cliff!" It's like, yeah, that's exactly how that would happen. And then Gay Perry is just trying to tell him like, "Shut the fuck! Like, what you? They're bad guys." Or the whole hotel oh my god dude and i know it's the same fucking scene it's the same fucking scene as the nice guys that got me but when they throw the fucking body off the roof and it hits the side of the dumpster (laughs) it's the same scene from the nice guys when they throw it over the fence and it hits the dinner party but that kind of shit kills me every time i see something like that in a movie it is just (laughs) i don't know what it is i laugh hysterically at it yeah, and it, we talked about the Abbott and Costello kind of scene uh, from last week with Holland Marsh finding the dead body. It's the same thing here when uh, Harry pisses on the I, dead I peed body on it. in the shower. What do you mean you peed on it? <laughs> I peed on the body. They can't get DNA from that, can they? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, when he when he tells him, he asks him, does he have gloves? And, and Harry's like, any particular kind of gloves? <laughs> is he like me? And Perry's like, yeah. Fawn? Will you fucking hurry? Yeah. You need to find the gun. Didn't we throw it in the lake? No, they planted a gun. You, not my gun, you idiot. <laughs> Again, absolutely fantastic. Every, everything, the characters are written perfectly in this movie. Plot, setting, bonkers. But the characters are written, are written perfectly. Um... With that, I kind of want to go. I have. I've seen Iron Man three. I've never seen the uh, the Predator. I kind of want to go back and watch those because, as we said, that Shane Black is a one trick pony. I just want to see. Is it something I didn't quite notice when I watched him the first time? It does it follow the same notes? Like I would love to go back because I don't remember a lot about Iron Man three, but I would love to go back and see if it kind of follows the same notes as as these two movies. Well, I'll just tell you, the Predator is awful. I've heard it's terrible. Um, it it does, yeah, it does not even feel like a Shane Black movie. That was hacked to pieces by the studio and a lot of interference. So yeah, it, it barely feels like a Shane Black product. Yeah, it, but yeah, same same thing with Iron Man three. I remember that my favorite thing about Iron Man three was the uh, the Mandarin reveal, mm. and I think universally that's hated by most. Marvel They've already fans. retconned it, which is terrible. I I did. I thought it was fantastic. Like I loved that, that was a moment where 
they decided to change the comics and do something different for the fandom. And then, yeah, all of the, the fanboys lost their minds. I'm like, this is what storytelling's about, is telling a new and different story. Like, there's that character does not translate from the comics to the world they've created in the MCU, so make a better version of it. And I thought that reveal was fantastic. But yeah, to your point, they, they've already retconned it. Yeah, I would definitely be interested in at some point on this podcast doing Iron Man 3 because that was kind of when Shane Black had as much juice as he probably ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have. it's been so long since I've seen the movie. All I remember is that particular twist. I remember, yeah, him being in the snow with the kid. Like, There's not a lot I remember about it. I remember the, it opened with that I'm Blue song. Uh, but yeah. Weird, weird little things, but not much about the actual movie. So, uh, in the year two, th- well, let's do Lethal Weapon two next. Well, what was Lethal Weapon two? Um, so Shane Black wrote Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote the script for Lethal Weapon two. Um, famously. Uh, Shane Black hated the direction the Lethal Weapon franchise went in. Uh, he thought it got too cartoonish, too comedic, which I, I tend to agree with. I, I like the comedy of the series when it's kind of laid on, uh, you know, with some uh, discipline. But, you know, by the third and fourth, it, it is it is. When was Joe Pesci basically Looney Tunes? Because I feel like that's when they jumped the shark. <laughs> Is that three? Uh, technically, he was introduced in the okay. second one. <laughs> okay, good. That's what... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Shane Black, that was the first example. They changed his script. In, in his script for Lethal Weapon 2, Martin Riggs dies at the end. Uh, but obviously, the studio, Warner Brothers, is like, nah, I, we want to keep cash in these Lethal Weapon checks. You can't kill one half of the, the, the lead duo. So that's why when you watch that movie, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen it, but Riggs is shot on the boat in the final shootout against like the South Africans. And they literally play Eric Clapton's knocking on heaven's door. And then the scene after it's like, oh, got to get you to the hospital, but you're going to be okay. Shane Black was pissed about that. And I won't spoil next week's movie, but he wrote The Long Kiss Goodnight and his script was heavily changed for that too which is part of the reason he kind of went off the uh off the grid for a while in hollywood because he was just tired of his shit getting changed sounds like frank miller Um, frank miller did the same thing with robocop yeah with robocop wait he was unhappy no 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 no. he did robocop they butchered his robocop 2 script and after that he was like fuck hollywood got you okay okay um which this production apparently was uh it was a smaller budget and it was produced by joel silver who produced the lethal weapon franchise and apparently the budget was so small that joel silver was like do whatever the fuck you want to do we're not going to interfere with you but it's interesting that at the end of this movie he does the same thing that happens in lethal weapon 2 and so much so that harry calls it out he's like boo hiss yeah i know it's it's bullshit when the studio gets nervous and they don't want a downer ending <laughs> that he you know when he trots in abraham mm-hmm. lincoln and all the people who have died throughout the movie they call it back that's kind of his fuck you to hollywood which i i kind of respect um because yeah it's it's clear that probably the way he intentionally wanted to write this was that 
Gabe Harry dies at the end, and potentially even Harry with the uh, the bullet going through the book. But he's self-referential and calls out the fact that, yeah, Hollywood has changed his endings in the past, and he's just going to go ahead and give him the Hollywood ending, even if it's 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 his choice this time around. No, it makes sense. And just to correct myself, Frank Miller did not do RoboCop, but I believe Frank Miller wrote the screenplay for RoboCop 2, and they just completely like altered it. I know that when he did Sin City, and when Sin City came out, that was basically like his, if the studio messes with this, I'm out, I'm done with Hollywood. Like, I won't do anything with Hollywood again. And they stayed true to his graphic novels, so he, he was cool with it. But, um, yeah, I know RoboCop 2, was, it was a big deal how much they changed his script. But uh, I do love when directors get a chance to basically a middle finger to, to the studios. Yeah, so I just, it's one of those things where if you have meta knowledge of Shane Black's career, you get an extra appreciation for the way he ends this movie. So I, I dug yeah. it. Even without knowing that knowledge, I figured it was a middle finger to somebody. It just, it's so over the top that it's like this, there's a point to the <laughs> to them deciding to do this. Um, So in the year 2000, Travis, we've said it before, our favorite probably decade of cinema is, you know, 2000 to 2010 uh for various reasons but this movie has a very 2000s feel to it. i think the blue filter over a lot of the movie regardless of it being shot at night i think that's another thing that i think was majorly improved and i realized the nice guys is shot in the 70s and they use more of a 70s palette but it's still brighter even the night scenes don't feel like they're as you know they have that blue filter that for, for whatever reason was hugely prominent at that time but the other thing and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just because, again, this is a time we worked at the theater and I noticed it more. But do they do those beautiful opening crawls anymore? Like this movie has? Like the opening credits with the, like, uh, Sal Bass, um, like, style artwork where it's the figures, you know, running. I just don't feel like they do that stuff anymore with movies. And it's so beautiful. Like, a lot of movies had stuff like that back in the day. Or even, like, the in you know, credits and stuff like that were had a lot more character to them. And I just, I don't know if it's just, you know, get straight into the movie, get straight out or whatever it is, or budgets and stuff like that. But I just, I don't remember as many movies having kind of those openings like this movie did. Yeah. I mean, I think other than the bond franchise, I really can't point out a particular movie. I mean, I'm sure there, there are ones that were missing. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely is, uh, not as commonplace as it was and that that sweet spot between 2000 because i'm even thinking like i know it's much earlier and it wasn't just necessarily mo i'm not even talking about motion graphics but i'm like you know uh gone in 60 seconds has that beautiful you know the opening like there's a lot of movies that had that and i feel like in in two like that decade like the especially i think the earlier half of it it was a lot more prominent in movies they would have kind of those openings like that and for whatever reason i don't know why movies got away from that because i i think they're gorgeous and i wish more did it especially if you're gonna have like the very opening and then you need to cut before it, it moves forward in time or maybe that's when they're used most appropriately i don't know but i i do wish more movies had those those opening crawls yeah i'm gonna sound 75 years old but i think it's the younger generation with a shorter attention span people don't want to sit through even four minutes of opening credits mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I mean, the most you get now is the, the Marvel, 
when it's got the comic book pages flipping behind the, the Marvel basically interstitial type thing. And that's, I'm like, that's, that's not what I want. I want more than that. So no, it's just a call out to that. Cause the, the opening of the, I actually have it saved on like a YouTube channel or something like that. Cause I actually like to go back and watch it sometimes. Cause I just, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's fun just to watch that piece of the movie. I think it's, it's gorgeous. And to a certain point, it, I don't know if it completely sets the tone. We didn't talk about, fuck, I didn't, we, I didn't even put it in at five points. Um, the score to this movie was much better. than, than That's the one thing I will give this over the nice guys. I think this one has a better score from beginning to end. Because I can tell you now, when the action sequences did happen, granted they weren't as grandiose, they did not feel, they did not have that generic bullshit Marvel action movie music behind it. And I thought that that helped. That's, that's the one thing that I think this takes over the nice guys. Yeah, I, I, I won't be able to do it justice. I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but there is a, in the score, there's a, like a saxophone kind of a, God, I, I'm not musically inclined. I would describe it as like a little bit of a flutter, like a, mm -hmm. you yeah. know what I'm talking about? I love that little musical note. Every time that popped up, I got a little bit of goosebumps because it accentuates, because it's it's action, but it's not like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger mm -hmm. action. Like it, it, it fits that noir vibe so well. And I, yeah, I just, I hear it in my head right now. Love that. So yeah, the score was very significant for me. All right. Well, with that, if you don't have anything else for a five point inspection, I think we can go ahead and move into some more other segments. Are you ready to, to move on? Let's do it. What you, you got? want to do a little blue book? Let's do a little blue book. All right, Travis. The sticker price of this here flick was an estimated $15 million. Do you want to guess what it grossed U.S. and Canada? I got to I gotta remember, this is Robert Downey Jr. pre-Iron Man. Pre-Iron so... Man. Shane Black, uh, you know, uh, directorial debut. Yeah, after being away for a while. But it was successful enough that he... He moved on to direct Iron Man 3. I'll say 20, 22 million U.S. and Canada. 4 million U.S. and Canada. I'm sorry, what? 4 million. Yeah, uh, no one went and saw this movie in the theaters. This is another one of those directors. How many, do, do you know how many screens it was on? Was it just like a New I, York LA? I, I mean, we got it, I think, one one screening or one theater in, in Louisville. But I think it was it was one and it was going to be one of the tiny side theaters like this. This was not a, a big thing. And I have no idea what it opened up against. That would be interesting to see as well. Jesus Christ. For yeah, this this was his, oh. his. So it does make you question. He got this in 2005 and almost a decade later. It was 2013 is when Iron Man 3 came out. So you do wonder what did he do in between there that somebody was like, you know what, let's give him Iron Man 3. Granted, that's what Marvel was pretty good about. That Marvel well, would that's... give like direct like up and coming directors because it was all cookie cutter. Basically, you had to follow their their thing, but they would give it to a, a director that hadn't been there for a while. Like, I mean, Taika Waititi is a great example with Thor Ragnarok. He hadn't done anything major before that. And everyone's like, why are you giving this guy Thor? And it wound up being a huge success. 
Man, that really, because uh, I thought this movie was like a moderate success. <laughs> I, I'm i still picking up my jaw. $4 million. Jesus Christ. Um, but man, Robert Downey Jr. must really have some affection for Shane Black. Because, yeah, to your point, the Marvel movies, it kind of, I hate to say it. Actually, I don't hate to say it because I'm, I'm tired of the Marvel movies. It doesn't matter who directs them for the most part. Um, so I can see, yeah, where Marvel's like whatever, but it feels like that was very much in Robert Downey Jr.'s contract negotiations at some point with Marvel. Like, yeah, I'll continue to play Tony Stark, but you're going to hire my friend for Iron Man 3. So kudos to Downey Jr. I think he's gone on record for saying that he feels like Shane Black saved his career or revived his mm -hmm. career with this movie. So it's nice to see him pay that back with the, the Iron Man 3 job. So... Do you have the worldwide address? I have the worldwide. I'm, I'm assuming it can't be much more. I have worldwide, and that's why I'm wondering if that U.S. might not be accurate. No, it is. Yeah, in, in a total of basically $4 million in the United States. Uh, do you want to go ahead and guess what it accumulated worldwide? I mean, I don't. I don't know why this would have any international appeal. Uh, you, you you said it was four million even. Mm. Uh, it was four point two million. I'll say five point two million. Fifteen point seven million was its worldwide. So worldwide accounted for seventy percent of this movie's. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? Like this is one of those weird ones where the uh, worldwide crushed domestic. I, I, uh, I love Shane Black. He seems like a shady character. Joel Silver, again, I, I, he seems like a little bit of a shady character. There has to be some sort of accounting scam. I don't understand how this would make $11 million overseas when it made four in the U.S. and Canada. I, yeah. Don't know, don't know what to say. Other than the world loved it and uh, the U.S. I'm was assuming mixed. you don't have any like country country breakdown. I right? do it's not. Just yeah, I, I wish. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where I'd even go begin to find that information. But no, I don't have anything beyond that. So, yeah, like I said, this is one of those few where the world. Well, I won't say one of the few because I'm sure a lot of the Transformers movies after the first one are the same way. Where in China it just absolutely murdered. But um, yeah, this one. I'm not sure which which countries love this movie, but should have been us. Should have been us. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, with that disappointing news, Nat Shocker, you ready to read some tag and title? I'm ready. Alrighty, Travis. I'm going to give you three taglines. One is going to be a tagline for this movie. One is going to be a tagline for a movie I found to chase, and one is going to be a tagline that I created myself. What I need you to do is tell me the official tagline for 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Are you ready? Hit me. Everything is suspect, everyone is for sale, and nothing is what it seems. A bad week in a tough town... And this isn't good cop, bad cop. Uh, this isn't good cop, bad cop. I'm going to say you made that one up. Uh, the, give me the middle one again. A bad week in a tough town. 
I think that's official. And give me the first one one more time if you don't Everything mind. Everything is suspect, everyone is for sale, and nothing is what it seems. I'm gonna, that's the adjacent movie. I, I'm confident that I'm right. I, I'm not confident that I can get the movie. I'm gonna take a, a wide random swing and say that's from Lucky Number 11. Okay. Uh, I should have looked up the tagline. I didn't look up the tagline for Lucky Number 11. It is not Lucky Number 11, but you did get everything placed in the correct order. So congratulations to that. Um, I had a second tagline I didn't throw, uh, throw out there. It was two cases seemingly unrelated. I wasn't sure if that felt... I felt like that one would have felt very much me. So um, the official, official tagline for this movie is sex, murder, mystery, welcome to the party. Uh, the a bad week in a tough town was the secondary tagline, but um, sex, murder, mystery, welcome to the party was all over the posters. So I wasn't sure what box art you had seen or thumbnails. So I, uh, I didn't want to give you that one. Everything is suspect. Everyone is for sale and nothing is what it seems. 1997's. L.A. Confidential. Ah! Well yeah, done. Yeah. Well done. Okay. That's a good yeah. adjacent. That's a good adjacent. So, uh... Which, uh, apparently the, uh, like the Russian roulette scene, I think, I read in the trivia that that was a, a callback to mm -hmm. L.A. Confidential, yep. actually. Yeah. So, that's a movie we should... I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I wouldn't mind going back and seeing L.A. Confidential. That has one of the, I think, one of the best death scenes in any movie with kevin spacey Ooh, spoiler whoopsies well if you, if you want a little a further spoiler i fucking hate really like i say it's been yeah it's I been a very long is, time since oh, i've watched it i just remember the death scene yeah it's, it's been a long time for me but i remember actually in fact i remember watching it and then waking up angry to the dvd menu because i had fallen asleep <laughs> you might not have even seen the yeah. death scene um I will say this. I tried to fuck you this week because I tried. <laughs> hey, you, you don't have to try, <laughs> Brett. Just ask. I tried to give you a video game tagline. <laughs> That's the adjacent. I tried to do L.A. Noir, but it didn't have a tagline. And then I was like, ah, I guess I'll just do L.A. Ah. Confidential. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be a sneaky little piece of shit. I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a different piece of media at him and see what he does. So um time capsule do you have a time capsule for us this week uh yeah this is we've already mentioned him in passing corbin burnson mm -hmm. as harlan dexter uh shout out uh joey if you're listening to this but he plays roger dorn in major league one and major league two uh love corbin burnson um not sure why he's in this movie, but actually, I do know why he's in this movie. This was actually the first movie that his production company produced. Oh, wow. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't a success, which is, I feel bad about that. <laughs> it's a great movie, though. I mean, whoever picked it out was fan, like, did a great job in terms of, like, actual great content. But, uh, yeah. He, yeah, now I'm kind of curious, did Corbin Burns' production company get yeah, a Did he have to finish? murder a child to try and make his money back from it? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Uh, he's uh, also in Psych, which is a was a great show on was it CB not CBS? It was one of those weird channels. 
USA. I have very much enjoyed that show. Hated the opening song. As that might be one of my least, if not my least favorite, uh, like TV theme song of all time, was the one to to psych. But uh, I really enjoyed him in that. Did you also know he's an avid snow globe collector? <laughs> How, how did you stumble across that information? So there was an old, I would say probably around in the 2000, 2010 era, there was um, a guy who did a project, or, you know, early days of the web, you can say, or mid, I don't know what, what time you want to do, but his whole goal was to trade up. He had one paperclip and he wanted to trade with people until he could trade all the way up to owning a house. And he documented this entire this entire experience like he traded the paperclip for a pen for this for this for this and then like for a generator and at a certain point he traded it he traded something for a kiss the band kiss snow globe at which point he traded corbin bernson who is a huge snow globe uh collector the snow globe for the rights to be in one of corbin's movies so it was basically like they got someone got a, uh, you know, a walk on part on one of his films or something like that or like, you know, got to be in the background. And then I think there was a city in Canada or something like that that treated him a house from that city for basically making Corbin have to shoot a, a scene for his movie in the in the town. So that, again, very <laughs> weird tangential. But yeah, that's that's how it got to that. But yeah, something it's like one paperclip project or something like that. Oh, yeah, I see it on his Wikipedia. Wow. You want to talk about uh, a direction I did not think we would go with this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Avid snow globe collector. Corbin Bernson. Bernstein. Bernson. So, Chop Shop. All right. I think it's time for a little choppy chop. So here's the other thing I think we should start doing a segment, Travis. We should just go into the, the top build cast, right? And go chronolog from the, the top, whoever the top build cast is, and see how far down you have to go until you hit somebody who has guest starred in an episode of Law & Order. Because I went through a bunch of these people trying to find somebody in the <laughs> OC, and I swear to God, all of them have been in at least one episode of Law & Order. And I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I understand the show has been on forever, and it's got 17 different spinoffs or whatever. I'm like, it just seems like everyone at some point has been a dead corpse or something in Law & Order. <laughs> it's just bizarre to me. <laughs> hold, hold on. Dead corpse, I, I realize, yes, it's redundant, all right? We don't have to go into that. I, I wasn't going to call you out on that, but are you suggesting that you preemptively what? try to figure out <laughs> if I'm going to do an Travis. OC time capsule? Is that what you just admitted to? I would never. No, that's. I just, you know, m yes, maybe. Was I going to try and steal your thunder? Perhaps. I don't know. You know? Really, what it came down to is I saw Flicka and I was like, hmm, I wonder if Flicka was in the OC. And then I, she wasn't. <laughs> so then I just, I decided to, to just kind of like randomly pick people out. Every single one of them was in Law and Order at some point, including Larry Miller. So, yeah. Oh, uh, before I get into Shop Shop, just because we're talking about, I mean, you brought up Larry Miller. Uh, what happened to fucking Shannon Sossaman? I feel like she was a star like back in a night's tale yeah. which i feel like was only a few years thought before the same this. thing i i looked her up when i was going through this uh her and michelle uh was it my mom my, 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 
Mama, Mama Gonahan. Um, the same thing. Mama make she, me happy. <laughs> she seemed like she had like just peaked, and then she is just kind of like disappeared. Like she had a lot of really big roles, and then I didn't think she was bad. I didn't think there was anything that would have warranted her not continuing to get roles. But yeah, just every time I watch this movie, included including the first time, I see her pop up. Shannon Sossman, that is. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's going to play a big role in this. And she's barely in it. Yeah, and not only that, like, she's just doing, like, B-rated horror movies and action movies again. So I don't I don't understand what happened to her. Uh, but yes, we can uh, we can get in Chop Shop. I, I say I that, that, but she's got a movie. That can, there are no saints. I don't know what she played in it. Tim Roth. I think she's the second build. Uh, Ron Perlman. Neil McDonough, Brian Cox, like there's decent names in this. Oh, Neil McDonough, Brett. I, I love. Yeah, the way you again, there's things. a certain point where the, that's just, you know, the drinking game for anybody who's listening is how poorly I can. I'm just glad it's. Yeah. It, yeah. Real quick before you real quick before we do your chop shop. Also, does Shane Black have a thing for grammar? talking about the badly yeah bad thing is there another example well the, the nice guys oh yeah don't say and yeah. stuff yeah and i god damn he really is a one-trick <laughs> pony again i don't mean that as an insult but jesus christ uh uh yeah you know what's funny a little little preview for the long kiss goodnight have you seen the long I kiss goodnight oh Oh, well, um, you remember in the nice guys that he has the duck on mm -hmm. his cast? The duck comes back. Well, I guess originated in the Long Kiss Goodnight. There's a duck reference. So, yeah, the dude. You know how they say some some people have a type. He, he's got a type in, in terms of the way he writes scripts. <laughs> Let's say, is it basically masturbating into a mirror? Like <laughs> he seems to love himself a lot. Anyway, so Chop Shop this week. got sci-fi wait 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 wait! wait. can uh, i guess so here, can here. i guess what you did you rename the movie kiss kiss beep boop <laughs> i'm sorry i'm not i'm gonna let you finish i'm gonna let you finish <laughs> uh yeah you know what normally i can vibe with your dad jokes brett that was that was a miss <laughs> um so i i don't want to make excuses right out of the gate but the problem I ran into is I don't like the plot of this movie, as I've already said. I don't think it makes a lick of sense or a flick of sense. Flicka? Huh? Flicka? Huh? Huh? Um, what if I was interested in you? The, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love Flicka. Flicka, Flicka's underrated. Mm. I wish she'd been on the O.C., um, the, the strength of this movie is just the interplay between Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. So that's kind of hard to recreate as we 
demonstrated with our opening this week. Um, so I kind of have an opening and then a large umbrella of an idea that I would want to do. Uh, but it, it kind of becomes more of an elevator pitch towards the end. Now, you're usually great at, you know, when I throw the alley-oop, you're able to slam dunk it through. So if you have notes on my larger premise that I'm going to go with to make the sci-fi, feel free to chime in. But um, the movie's going to open in 1980, Indiana, uh, as it does in this movie, which also... Uh, it's funny to me that Robert Downey Jr. and Michelle Monaghan are supposed to be the same age when Robert Downey Jr. is clearly like 10 to 12 years older than her. <laughs> so they would they would not have been children at the same time. But, yeah, but he's probably done time. You know, that's that's going to age you a little bit. So the movie opens in 1980s, Indiana, uh, just like in the movie. But we're going to have a little bonus scene of Harry and Harmony preparing for the magic show that's depicted in the movie. Uh, the two children are going to be discussing how they hate their small, crappy town, and it feels like neither of them belong. <clears throat> and then Harmony's going to stand up dramatically and proclaim, it's because we're performers, darling. And Harmony parts the curtain and introduces Harry the Great, and then we're going to have the same scene where he pretends to saw her in half. Have you done this before? Done what? Are you copying a chop shop you've done before? I'm having no, wicked deja vu, man. I'm having like wicked fucking deja vu while you're doing this. I feel like I have heard all of this before, but go on. I I legitimately thought you were doing a bit where you copied something you've done before and you were going to see if I noticed. <sighs> I mean, maybe I have more Shane Black in me than I like to admit. Maybe I'm just <laughs> ripping off uh, a past chop shop. Listeners, if you if you know what it is, feel free to uh, message the Instagram, which hopefully Brett knows how to check the messages. So I guess I don't. <clears throat> anyway. Sorry about that. I, I I was I was starting to lose it a little bit. But go on. Yeah, now I'm sitting here racking my brain as to what chop shop I'm ripping off. But uh, yeah, I have to I have to go back and listen. Anyway. Uh, and then we're going to go to the Hollywood party that's at the beginning of the movie. Harry wanders around a bit uh, and we're going to have much like in the uh, if you go back and listen to our review of the player, he's going to kind of hear various Hollywood centric conversations going on. Uh, so he's going to overhear two gentlemen talking and they're going to be like, <clears throat> it's preposterous. Go back as far as Hitchcock and Tippi Hedren. Some directors just, they don't get along with actors. Fincher feuded with both Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal on Zodiac. So yeah, <laughs> I thought you would like cute. that little meta piece. Uh, Harry continues through the party uh, and overhears two actors talking. All these East Coast bad boys they're importing. I was on The Sopranos for four seasons. Now I can't get a fucking audition for Jersey Thug number two. Um, and we're going to flash back to the, the proto-cop uh, break-in that led Harmony getting to the party. Uh, Harry's going to get his ass kicked. Uh, we're going to introduce Gay Perry, you know, giving the detective lessons to Harry. Uh, body at the lake, etc. Um, Gay Perry is going to uh, tell Harmony that Harry has, isn't actually a private eye. Um, and here's where I'm going to kind of go in a different direction, which will ultimately lead to the elevator pitch. Uh, Gay Perry reveals that Harry isn't really up for the part. He's simply leveraged for Colin Farrell. He expounds that an East Coast casting agency has been pumping out actors at a high rate 
some more successful than others. Uh, Gay Perry, Gay Perry goes on to say that all the ones he's met have been a little bit off. Uh, Harry asks if Gay Perry thinks he's stupid. Gary, Gay Perry responds because I just wanted to put this line <laughs> in again. I don't think you'd know where to put food at if you didn't flap your mouth so much. Yes, I think you're stupid. Uh, I literally write right here because I don't particularly enjoy the plot of this movie. I'll uh, veer off and uh, Harry decides to uh, go see Harmony and apologize about his lie. And just like in the movie, which we have not talked about when she fucking cuts off his finger in the door. Well, they set it up too. Cause I thought I remember it happening. And the first time it happens, I'm like, wait, am I remembering a different movie? Cause I could have sworn he gets his finger like slam, like cut off in a slam door. (laughs) It's later. And then when the dog eats it. To this day. Just the look of that dog when he's just got the fucking (sighs) finger in his mouth and just how Harry is just resigned to the fact that, yeah, of course you're going to eat my fucking (laughs) finger. So, yeah, we're going to recreate that scene. And just like in the movie, she's going to chop off part of his finger. (laughs) And when she reopens the door, Harry's in shock holding the injury. Did I just cut off your finger? Harry moves his hand to reveal a severed finger but Brett there's no blood Mm. okay there's there's no blood Brett Harmony asks does it hurt Harry responds no then faints so that is my reveal Brett that Harry is a fucking cyborg I think you're gonna go all those I'm sorry Go ahead. I think no, they were going to go, go clone route. I thought they were just going to be cloning and each clone is a little bit more off because maybe it's a clone of a clone or like they the sample is getting more and more like degraded. So it's just like they keep the same like badasses who they keep sending, but he's getting worse and worse. Yeah. And you know what? I thought about that because what I thought about was trying to rip off the prestige. Well, also the title of the movie, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. It repeats itself. Damn it. See? Okay. No, no. See, that's... I knew I knew I could count on you, Brett. I knew I could count on you. So, <clears throat> although if they were clones, they would still bleed. Over well, yeah, that's that's when I realized it wasn't clones, when he didn't bleed. Okay, okay. Yeah, we, we, maybe we'll have to tweak that. But in, in my script, they're, they're not... My, my quote-unquote script, which is about to be over mm. already. But... Um... So the sci-fi element is going to be that Harlan Dexter, Dabney Shaw, which is Larry Miller, and a rich industrialist are working to create acting robots. Uh, I think we've talked about, I don't know what episode, but we talked about the fact, um, oh, I think it was the player episode where they they comment on, uh, you know, the filmmaking process would be perfect if we could just eliminate the Mm. actors. So that's where I kind of wanted to go with it. This this company is trying to manufacture actors that they can kind of control and undercut their their cost again to avoid paying the Colin Farrells of the world. Um, and we're going to find out that both Harmony and Harry are two of these robots. Uh, we're going to find out that uh, that that memory of their childhood at the beginning that was just an implant. I'm thinking of uh, Michael Bay's The mm-hmm. Island. Um, I don't know if... And you could even, I guess, technically, 
yeah, you could even go with the, maybe they're just organ farms for existing actors already. I don't know, but we're, we're going to pretend they're robots. Um, and the other twist I wanted to put on it was the guy playing proto cop mm-hmm. that broke into Harmony's apartment. He had gone crazy because he had found out that he was, in fact, a robot. And he was trying to warn Harmony of that. Uh, that's why he broke into her house. So I wanted to make that a little more specific rather than just a random throwaway scene. There's a little season one um, Westworld. Exactly. Okay. Um, so yeah, he he was a robot who went insane when he discovered his origins, but he basically was mocked and, and blackballed from Hollywood because people thought he was crazy, uh, which is why he's roaming around in his protocop suit, uh, breaking into Harmony's apartment to warn her. Um but yeah, that's uh, that was kind of the high level because again, I thought this plot was nonsensical. So instead of making it a you know Harlan Dexter's daughter, Harmony's sister, a random third woman, instead of doing all that, I wanted to make it a little even more meta Hollywood and explore the replacing the Colin Farrells of the world. So I like the idea of it being clones and beyond it being clones, they're all clones of Harlan Dexter because he's so infatuated with himself with how good he thinks he is and that they continue to tweak his DNA because they need to keep producing them, but they, they can't all look the same. Otherwise, you know that it's just a bunch of Harlan Dexter clones. And every time they do it, it winds up like degrading a little bit. And even mean Harmony is like a clone of his daughter where maybe that was the or wife or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's where it kind of started was he lost his wife because they talk about the the beginning and maybe he tries to replace her and then realizes that his production company, instead of his mental institution, uh, make it a little bit more meta. Maybe his production company, they just keep producing, like they keep finding all of this talent that allows them to drive down the cost of like higher, you know, uh, top shelf triple A act or yeah, top shelf actors and actresses yeah and the whole the whole him which i'll be honest with you brett i did not catch that he owned that mental institution did not catch that at all um but that that would actually work for the clone uh plot line too because any any clones that basically he couldn't control or kind of went off program just stick him in the loony bin yeah in the loony bin or yeah he winds up just that that'll be the end the reveal is that he's killing them basically almost like your prestige thing where you can't keep flooding Hollywood with new talent. Otherwise, it's you have to do something with them. So once they've lost their purpose, he's just killing clones of himself. And then it becomes a whole moral thing. Like, well, technically, are they clones of him? Because he's altered the DNA. Like, then you can get into a real, like, sci-fi moral dilemma with the whole thing. Yeah, and if you really wanted to be, maybe this is insensitive, but you could kind of imply that somebody like uh, River Phoenix or Corey Haim were clones and you know they didn't actually die of drug overdoses they were killed by harlan dexter but yeah you know yep good old hollywood roll up some hollywood conspiracies in there too yeah i can dig it yeah so i like where their direction was going i was like, I, I mean it's just uh, i think uh yeah you went robots i went clones so i think the the spirit of it's still there absolutely well uh what do we have left just final thoughts I think just final thoughts uh travis tell me what are your final thoughts of this movie 
you know, like I said, it it was probably a mistake to watch the nice guys before this because uh, I think dating back to like our 48 hours review, 48 hours very much felt like it was the template or the the foundation of uh, what a genre was built on. Um, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is 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 a fantastic movie. I mean, if, if you were to say a one to ten scale, I would give it a solid eight. No mm-hmm. problem. Um, it just it it it. Like I said, the rough edges get sanded down and then you have something like the nice guys. But, um, man, it just makes me wish that Val Kilmer was still acting. I know he's had some health problems, but I, I don't know if I've ever seen an actor nail a role better than him playing Gay Perry. Like Robert Downey Jr. is great. He's kind of given this this kind of became let's be honest, this kind of became Tony mm. Stark. Tony Stark was just a tweak on Harry Lockhart. Uh, whereas Gay Perry is just one of the most iconic movie characters that I've ever seen. So highest of recommends for this movie, even if I think it, it falls a little bit below the nice guys. What about you? Yeah, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I um, had something not prolific to say, but definitely had a comment. Oh, last thing is, I would have loved to have seen a movie in which Harry and Gay Perry had to team up with uh the nice guys the problem is that would never happen it would you would now have to introduce time travel or something like that which again why not uh but it would just have been fantastic to watch all four of them have to try and solve some kind of weird mystery together and damn it it again shane black playing the same exact notes this movie pisses me off because at the end you have harry uh i guess he looks like he's living with gay Mm. harry at that point and it kind of implies like, hey, there's going to be more adventures with this duo and just watching it and knowing that we're never going to nope. get those fucking adventures. It, I had the same anger as when I watched The Nice Guys. Yeah, it's one of those few times when you're like, I would actually like to see another, have them solve another another mystery. So, but hey, we get Knives Out too. So that's nice. That's coming out later this year, right? uh yeah christmas so, Eve, well i'm sure we're gonna review that one but uh no i i love this movie i uh i own it um i rebought because i had an old dvd of it so i say own it but i had the old dvd i bought digital so that i could watch it again uh but i just i do i think it's a it it's not a movie you can have playing in the background it is one that you have to watch because there's so much the dialogue you have to be able to digest it and i think you have to be able to pay attention solely to it but it's a great ride from beginning to end i absolutely love this movie and i think i talked about it briefly in last week's review uh with the nice guys it's one of those movies for whatever reason it really got me thinking about you know when he does the whole thing he does the whole monologue about like oh it's the shot of the guy from the red october like oh look they made that shot what does that mean i bet it's gonna come out later in the movie like it's one of those things that it was the first time that that really got brought up to me. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like one of those film school things where, like, I never really thought about that. But, yeah, that stuff's done very intentionally. And I notice it all the time in movies when they do stuff like that. And, like, this was kind of bad. We go back to that Hollywood meta. Even beyond just how Hollywood operates, it's almost like how the movies are structured and stuff like that. It's very – because of how that monologue is used and the narrator is used, it just puts so much attention to what's going on. And you said it earlier, like – 
the movie, with the exception of the plot and setting, which maybe that's why you can make an argument that it was done intentionally, everything about this movie is very intentional. So you have to think that maybe choosing just a batshit crazy plot is was intentional by Shane Black. I don't think it was successful, but it was, you know, quite possibly intentional. Yeah, and I mean, I've literally said it on uh, the review of the nice guys, the the porno plot, like the the comment, like you you made a porn where the story is the point. Again, I think that's Shane Black kind of showing his hands. I don't think he much cares about the actual quote unquote plot in his movies. So, uh, but. I just think the nice guys pulled it off a little more successfully. Shane Black also does a weird thing where he, like, goes out of his way to almost look like he doesn't use women, <laughs> exploit women, while, ex like, kind of exploiting women. Like, there's, I was just thinking of the shot where, like, Robert Downey Jr., Harry pulls the dress down on the dead body so that, she, like, she's decent, or in the nice guys where the kid puts, he's, Misty yeah, Mountains, Missy, he's yeah. literally looking at the centerfold, and then when he sees her in person, he covers her up. It's like, it's one of those weird things where I feel like, again, Shane Black goes out of his way to be like, oh, no, let's make sure that they're decent. While at the same time, unnecessarily putting tits and nudity all through the movie. It's like, what message are you trying to say with this? I don't understand why you on one hand you want to show like chivalry. But on the other hand, you're like, tits sell. We got to put boobs in the movie. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. It's one of those things that I, I noticed but never really it never leaps to the front of my mind, but yeah, like, you know, pulling down the dress, but yet we're going to have Michelle Monaghan running around in, you know, skimpy, like Christmas attire at the end of the movie. And when she goes topless for, for in the mirror for like, it seems like oh, it's like, you're just right. like, did yeah. this, do we need this shot? <laughs> like, like the whole movie, she's had at least a bra on, and then all of a sudden now she's taking her, her top off. You're like, Oh, this just doesn't feel necessary and even if you're trying to show how harry tries to kind of like show decency and he doesn't want to look at him like there's ways of doing that without making me as the audience looking at it like it's a, like it's just very weird how shane black goes about doing that in his movies where i'm like again what there's it's such an oxymoron like oh we're gonna make sure we you know the decency while at the same time exposure like i don't get it yeah it feels a little performative it feels a little bit like a guilty conscience to me, but I, you know, I, I might be reading into things too much, but yeah, you consider the fact that as I, I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast, he's kind of a little bit canceled in Hollywood because of the, the casting decision that he made on the predator, put a predator on predator. To hire a, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that again, kind of lends credence to what you're saying, where he kind of just puts this shit in to try to, appear to be a quote-unquote nice guy <laughs> well so those, when you have to say it is it true like <laughs> like no guys see i think <laughs> decently of women it's like okay do you though <laughs> just it kind it's kind of like when people tell me like hey i'm gonna be honest with you i'm already like wait are you normally not honest with <laughs> exactly me? you're putting a lot of effort into making sure you you cover women up while exposing them but yeah but uh and great movie bring it back to that everybody i think everybody should watch it i think it's a fantastic movie just like the nice guys so it'll be very interesting to see where the long kiss goodnight falls in this as we continue to go backwards in time with with shane black 
yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, talk about that one since you haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to next week. All righty. With that, we bid you adieu. Thank you once again for joining us. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you back next week for the long kiss goodnight as we wrap up the Shane Black Buddy Cop trilogy. Uh, before we go, Brett, can you do me a favor? I want you to picture a bullet inside your head right now can you do that for me it's a little abstract isn't it what's the line god damn it uh ambiguous i was close it's a little ambiguous isn't it i think what he means is that when you say picture it inside your head okay is that the bullet will be inside your head or picture it in your head yeah see you next week (laughs) Whoopsies! For all you avid listeners out there, you might have realized that we forgot to spin the Wheel of Destiny to figure out what my chop shop was going to be for next week. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and spin it now. Travis isn't here to hear it live, but, uh, yeah, let's see what we get. Uh, Oscar bait. So I have to turn the long kiss goodnight into Oscar bait. So that should be interesting. But, uh, yeah, we will now resume the uh, outtakes. Have a great one. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Hollywood Chop Shop spoken... F- Damn it. I was, I was so excited about the opening, too, and that's why I got in my own head. I mean, you're the narrator we're stuck with, Brett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Nice callback. Hello and welcome. God damn, I don't even have energy in that one. Hello. I I was I was I was in pain and I was groaning and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, I don't think that's the line. And all of a sudden I just snapped out of it. I don't I don't think you'd know where to put food. Oh, God, I, I have to deliver this right. So give me a second to read it. Take take your time. Oh, yeah, I, di- I didn't deliver. Uh, you put a lot more. I didn't you put a lot more angst in your delivery of the just walk away than Robert Downey Jr. does in his like he plays it so cool, calm he, and collected and it just gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah, I, I should have known better than to try to ape any dialogue from this movie because it is 100 percent. the deli- Well, not 100 percent the delivery, but like 90 percent is the delivery between Kilmer and and down yep. all right we're almost as good yeah clearly